We, uh, we've been talking for the last couple of weeks about the glorious church. And what I've really wanted to do is I've wanted to build our hope, build our faith, and build our understanding of the way that the church that Jesus established really functions, really looks, and what a significant force of transformation and change in our world she really is meant to be. You know, we're coming off of a Sunday a week ago of one of the most horrific acts of, would you say, terror that's been committed in our country on church, on churches. Uh, you obviously know about the shootings and the, the 27 people, I believe it was, 27, right, that were killed. Uh, it's just horrible. It's just horrible. I don't even have the words, you know, for what that makes me feel like. And there's, it seems like you could just turn on the news every week and you can hear of something like that that makes you say the same thing. Like, that's just evil from the pit of hell. It just, yeah, infuriates me, you know? But listen, we have to understand one of the things that I think is important that we understand is that we as the church are a more significant force that God is more powerful is able to overcome all of these evil types of, all of the things that are of this world that are evil, that Satan is influencing, that there is, God is more powerful and working in his church as a force of influence and of change and of transformation. Listen, that is the opposition that we bring forth to come against all of the evil that's coming out of the pit of hell. That we're, it's an army, it's a rising up and we, we grieve and we pray for those families and, and you know, we're there, we surround them, we love them and, we, and all of that stuff and we continue as we move forward to say, Satan, we will not be discouraged. We will not lose hope that we are going to continue to fight. We're going to continue to be who God's created us to be. We're living towards a perfect future, a perfect eternity. You can't take our hope because we're going to live forever with Jesus. So this world is imperfect, but we're going to walk in victory. We're going to come against everything that you stand for, and we're going to be the church that Jesus came and established whenever he was here on this this earth. I want you to have hope. I want you to not in any way underestimate the significance, the power, the authority that the church carries with her. She is not a physical structure. She is not a contractual entity. You know, uh, you form a business 
you want to start a company, you can write into the art to the Secretary of State's office here, whatever state you're in, and then they'll incorporate you. That's a contractual entity, you know, that's formed. The church is a supernaturally charged, empowered, spiritual entity. Jesus came, he died, he established victory over sin and death with, 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 on the cross, and then he empowered the church with his spirit to walk and live in authority over all the schemes and tactics that the enemy would bring against her. And you know what's mind-blowing? Listen, the church has suffered intense persecution over the years, intense like, it is absolutely unexplainable other than by a, a complete miracle that the New Testament church survived the first couple hundred years after Jesus died. It's unexplainable. There were all of these persecutions, all of these torturings, all these deaths, like Nero and the emperor and all these people tried to squash the movement out. And you know what happened? In the midst of terror, in the midst of evil, the church continued to flourish, to grow, and to gain power. And spread. The enemy cannot stop the true church of Jesus. He can't stop it. And he knows it. But he's going to keep on trying. And, and we have to be the church. We have to say, you know what, God? Like, this, my hope is in you. The change we need in our world, it has to flow from God through the church, which means his, the members of the body that are all in our world in society in different places but the church being the church not just here on Sundays but like being the church walking in the power and authority that you have to be the church in all the places out there where evil is threatening everybody where it's trying to rear its head at every corner you know what we need we need light there we need salt and light to be flavorful and powerful and strong in those places, not weak and timid and retracted back and just being the church on Sundays in the little building, right? That's where my hope is. I mean, I, look, I'm, you know, 37, very young, well-aged years. I understand. But, um, <laughs> but, but I've, <laughs> I've seen enough in my time to where I say this the right way, I hope, but I just don't really have hope that there's any other answer for what we need in our world than the church rising up. It's just, I just, I don't think you can pass laws that are going to fix the problems that we have. I don't think you can politicize enough to, to, to ever legislate morality. I, I, I mean, I don't, just, I don't have hope, and those are, those are empty solutions to me, you know? Now, I believe politicians should be Christians. I believe we need Christians in the workplace. I believe we need Christians in the schools, being strong, being who we are, right? But my hope is in the church, guys. My hope is in the church being the church that Jesus created so that there's a flourishing, thriving movement and that God's hand is working and operating across our land because we are vessels and instruments that he's able to use who are out on the front lines doing what he's called us to do. Amen? Amen. That, was, I, that isn't even in my notes today. Holy cow. I don't even... I. Look, get, don't, don't applaud me, seriously. I don't, it, but, um, 
But I get fired up about this stuff. When you start talking about the church and who she is, what it's meant to be, like I just, I, I want so badly for nobody to underestimate what the church is really created to do. Listen to this. We're going to start now. Open up your Bible to John chapter 14, okay? Jesus says a few words right here. That to me, these are one of, this is one of those scriptures, these verses. It's like, what does that mean? What does, think about what this implies. Like, you can't just gloss over this and not let this deal with you and continue to deal with you. You know, you're just like, whoa, did, did he really mean what he just said? Like, seriously, listen to this. John 14, verse 12. Jesus is speaking. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do. Because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask in my name, I will do that the Father, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, I've got to tell you, I have read these verses, and I have like really, like, greater works than Jesus did we will do. First of all, not sure. I got to really look at myself. I got to really examine my life, right? Am I really walking the way that I'm called to? Because not by your strength and not by your might, but by the Spirit of God who works in you, there ought to be evidence of the same types of miraculous things happening in our lives and greater than what Jesus was doing whenever he was walking on this earth. See, that really messes with me when I start to think about that. Jesus didn't come, do a bunch of amazing things, miracles, establish a church, and then leave for all of us to then just kind of function in normality, to just sort of do the normal, humanly capable things. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you're going to do greater works than I have even done. Wow. Now think about this. We're talking about the church. In the first week we talked about this, we talked about the characteristics of Jesus' church. And number one, that she's a growing church, that she's growing in multiples and she's growing in faith and in strength individually in the members, that they're being built up and edified. Last week we talked about the church is unified, that unity is a major quality that the church is united around the spirit of God. It ought to be moving forward in at all times and division and strife can begin to fracture the work that the church is supposed to be doing. Today, we're gonna talk about how the church is truly gifted for supernatural works, truly gifted for amazing things, amazing works that not just we read about in the Bible that Jesus and the apostles did that we truly walk in and step in and experience those types of miraculous things in and through our own lives. Guys, not so much that we can get on a yay, an exciting thing for us, but so that the world can be changed, so that Jesus can be made famous, so that God can be glorified. Like, when the church is functioning the way that she's functioning, there is 
massive, miraculous things happening. Study the revivals through the ages, periods of revival. Millions of people over the ages that have just all of a sudden been saved, been one for Jesus, and their lives just completely changed. Look at all of the healings. No matter how you think about this, if you look at history, there's healings, miracles all through the ages. That How do you explain that? Is everybody crazy? I mean, if it was one time, I'd say, okay, the dude maybe is off his rocker. It's all kinds of times through history, healings, miracles, all these things, right? I think, I think Jesus really meant what he said. I think he did. And I know that it's not going to just automatically happen if we're not taking the position that, hey, we are the church, we need to be the church, <laughs> We need to be who we're called to be. Amen. So he talks about greater works than these than you will do. And, and in the Bible, we see a number of different types of gifts that it talks about. Now, it's, I think it's very helpful to, to study these and to know what some of the gifts that the Bible lays out are. Spiritual gifts. Gifts that are inoperable impossible of functioning apart from a spirit of God empowerment, okay? Supernatural gifts. And uh, have you, has anybody ever taken, I know some of you have because I've done it with people, but the spiritual gifts test or a spiritual gifts test, how many people have done that before? A, a few people. Strongly encourage you to do that, strongly. And in fact, we've got a link to a great one. If you want to email us, we'll send it to you. Uh, but I really feel that it's helpful to, look, to take a spiritual gifts test. and Not that it's 100% accurate, but it, it gives you an indication based on the way that you would answer questions of how you would uh, behave in certain situations or what you feel strongly about. It helps you to understand like, where maybe some of your areas of giftedness, your spiritual gifts really lie. Um, and it's so important because, look, we all have them. They're in all of us. This is one of the biggest myths, I guess, that you got you to gotta debunk in the church is that there's a mentality a lot of times that, ah, that's just for the, 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 the preferential people, you know? That's just for certain people in the church. Gifts, spiritual gifts, those types of amazing things. Like, you know, some people get that, but that's not really for everybody. That is just completely false. Like, we have all been given the Spirit of God when we, when we confess Christ as our Lord and Savior. We're born again. The Bible says the Spirit comes to live on the inside of us. The Bible says that God doesn't give the Spirit by measure. So the same Holy Spirit, the same power, the same fullness is living in each one of us who confess Jesus as Lord, right? And so why would some people have be, be meant to walk in gifts to do greater works than these and some people not? It doesn't say that anywhere, but sometimes in the church, people can get into that way of thinking. And here's what happens, is that they sort of separate themselves. They just kind of tune out from, from thinking that that's ever a part of how God would use them. And, and then you have a, only a portion of the body functioning optimally. Are you with me? I mean, you, the whole body, the church, Jesus' church, the whole body, all the members are intended to function optimally with God's power working in through them and amazing things that they're gifted to do are flowing through and happening in their life on a regular basis. We ought to be, guys, 
we, if we're really living the Christian life, we ought to be wowed, amazed, and awestruck at the power of God on a continuous basis as we live. There ought to be regular moments that we come to, quite frankly, where we step back and say, wow, God, you are absolutely amazing, unexplainable other than God working through me or doing something in my life. That ought to happen on a regular basis to us because that happened to the apostles. It happened with Jesus. It ought to happen all the time that we're literally like, wow, oh my gosh, like glory to God. There's no way I could do that. You know, and that's the way that we're walking and living. So we were, we've been reading out of Ephesians a lot, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, and there's a lot in these 16 verses uh, here that talk about a picture of the glorious church. And, uh, man, we've been in these 16 verses for three weeks now. And, you know, how many people, when you go to the, the gas station for a cup of coffee in the morning, how many of you like me, and you, you go over to the coffee station and you look around, they got all these flavors, you know, you got Colombian, you got, uh, uh, help me out, what else is there? Uh, pumpkin spice, what? You're a foo-foo guy, huh? Pumpkin spice, okay. <laughs> just kidding, I'm just kidding. Whatever, you got all these flavors. And then you look around and then you, you look over and you see bold, extreme, high-charged caffeine, yeah? I'm like, that's my coffee right there, right? That's more potent. Like, you know the kind you can almost eat with a spoon? It's so thick like pudding. And I don't mess my stuff up with any of that creamer and sugar. I want the full dosage, right? Yeah, I know. We'll separate on that. But let's stay unified today. Um, but the point is, is that there's, you know, it's just so potent. And these 16 verses, when we're talking about a picture of the glorious church, it's like, ah, it's just so potent and so filled with wisdom and just you know, revelation here that we see. And we, we talked in the first six verses last week on unity and why being unified is so important and, and how we stay unified. And then you move in here and we're going to read now in verse 7, we're talking about gifted for marvelous works. And so we'll pick up here. It says, to each one of us, not some, right? To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, who did he lead captivity captive for? All of us. Who did he give gifts to? Did he bestow gifts upon? All of us. His children, right? See, in the, in the victory that Christ established over death, in his ascension back to heaven, before he, as he's getting to sit down at the right hand of the Father, which he was at before, and he got up and came down and was born into the virgin birth, walked the earth, fulfilled the great judgment that needed to be fulfilled, and he ascends back to heaven. He sits down at the right hand of the Father, back where he was, and it says as he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. See, he won this victory so that we could be everything that we are called to be, that we could walk in the fullness of a supernaturally empowered life that Jesus knew we had to have, that his church needed to walk in if she was going to be the church that he established and created her to be. Now, if we're walking in a lesser reality of that, then I'm 
Quite frankly, we are marginalized as the church in what we're doing to change this world. Is that, would you agree with me? We can't do that. We have to walk in the fullness of what God is calling us to. It says he equipped uh, and gave gifts to men. So we all are bestowed with gifts. Now, the, there's differences of gifts. There's varieties. There are uniquenesses. Uh, let's like refer this to this as like, uh, a formula, right? I mean, everybody's DNA, let's say, is different genetically. Like there's no two human beings that are going to have the same DNA. Spiritual gifts, the way God's created us, made us, are so unique that there is a different spiritual uh, composition or whatever formula, okay, that we all carry with us that nobody else, if you cut the spiritual DNA line and you look, nobody else will be unique exact the same way that we are. And that's important because guess what? If you really get down to it, every member of the body is supposed to play a distinct role that other members are not created to necessarily play. Same way. That's why he refers to it as a body. This finger, this finger, this, they're all different. They all play different roles. Everything's a different function. But they work together. They serve one purpose. And that's where unity comes in, right? And so our gifts, we have to realize that the gifts that God's put in us that he wants to use, they have to be used, the, the, the mentality has to be that they're being used to serve God and to serve the mission of his kingdom. It can't be self-serving. Like God didn't give me gifts to make myself happy, right? He didn't give you gifts so that you could make your life pleasurable. Now, the reality is, is if you walk in the fullness of God's calling on your life and you are walking in relationship with him, you will know no other greater peace, joy, happiness, fulfillment than that. But the objective is that what God has given us and what he's put in us, it's not to serve ourselves. It's so that we can serve him and serve the greater mission that he's really called us and equipped us to fulfill. So take a step back and think about the areas that you're gifted in, that, that you know that God has put in you, that there's their gifts and their strengths. And then ask yourself, like, are these gifts, am I using them? Am I striving to use them in a way that really truly serves God and his plan for my life? Or am I serving some kind of worldly objective through this? And I promise you, if it's entirely a worldly objective, just to make money, just to have a house, just to have the cars, just to be able to have prestige, or just to be able to have stature among men, if it's any of these things, you will not experience the fullness and the power that these gifts are really created and designed for you to walk in. It's when we step back and say, look, God, they're yours. You gave them to me, and I'm going to use them to serve you. I'm going to use them. I want them to serve you. I want them to expand your kingdom. I want them to serve others. God, I, it's not about me. And whenever we live that way, we begin to tap in to being used in the most powerful of ways by God. And the, and the gifts become alive and we begin to see them and we begin to mature in them and we become aware of them in ways that we couldn't possibly know if we were trying to serve a lesser objective of a worldly task or something for ourselves. 
So when we look at the rest of these verses, he gives us some gifts that are bestowed upon leaders in the church. Um, He says that some were apostles, this is verse 11, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. So these are five offices of, of spiritual leadership in the church body, and some are equipped with those. And he says he's given them to us. Here's, here's the outside motive, not the, for the personal gain. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So he, as we function in our gifts and we really flow in who God's created us to be powerfully, then we begin to bring strength, are you with me, to the rest of the body as a whole. When we're not functioning that way, it's like something is just missing because we're all a member to play a role and uniquely equipped, right? And so we know that as we function and flow in our gifts, that the the body of Christ is edified, is built up, is strengthened, is sharpened, is improved, is spurred on to godliness and godly things in our own lives. It's like we're, we're spurring each other on constantly into the things of God because we're walking and moving and flowing in who he's created us to be. But listen, the gifts flowing and alive in us and through us also serve the, the purpose of being an effective witness to the world outside. It's evidence of God's hand and his work upon us, and you can see that when, with the way that our lives are affecting people that are possibly outside of the church. It talks about how we're to be a witness that when we walk with God, that he, he is glorified and Christ is known through our lives. So the gifts carry major implications. And, and the least of them that you would see is that it's serving you. It's for others in the church and it's for the world outside to recognize the hand of God has been at work in your life. People ought to say like, man, there's something about that person. That's undeniable. Like, there's no way that that, man, there's got to be something to this God stuff, this Jesus stuff. Maybe, huh? That ought to be the the reaction that's provoked in our lives with people who are outside of us. Because when Jesus touched people, they were always affected by it. He was always shaking things up in the way that he lived, right? You ever have, like, maybe there's certain types of... uh, I don't know, maybe a contractor that you like to use or certain types of people that do certain work really, really well. And uh, if you drive by a building or you drive by a location and you see one of those types of buildings, you could say, oh, I, I, I bet you, I guarantee you so-and-so worked on that. Oh, that had to be one of so-and-so's jobs or that had to be so-and-so, right? It's like it's so well-known that it's like you can spot the evidence of something, Boy, the residue of Jesus ought to be just rubbing all over everybody off of us everywhere we go. It really ought to. What, what, what got on me? Holy cow. I feel a little Jesus-like right now. I don't know. I think I caught something, you know. But it ought to be. It ought to be. Listen to this. Go to Romans. Uh, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'm trying to get through some gifts here. And in this one, he talks about other gifts. I'm just going to, in verse 1, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. So 
he's getting ready to get into some discussion about it. He's like, look, you can't afford to not understand this stuff. You can't afford to just be in the dark about spiritual gifts, about their importance, about their, the fact that they're, they're in all of the believers in the body. He's, you know, he's like, look, you can't miss this one. Don't be ignorant of this. Don't be undiscerning about this, right? And then he goes on to say um, in verse 4, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit, differences of ministries, but the same Lord, and diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So all these different uniquenesses, diversities of ministry, diversities of gifts, differences, diversities of activities. You see, we're not all called to be in the same place every minute of every day, right? We're not all called to be involved in all of the same activities, nor do we carry the exact same set of giftings, personalities, all these different things. Like there is a unique, when you start really breaking it down, man, there is a, there's a divine design here. There is a unique purpose God's fashioned us all with, with our gifts, our makeup, who we are, the things that we're passionate about, where we're led to be involved in, the things that burn our heart that we want to do something about, we want to be involved in, differences of activities, differences of ministries, differences of gifts. But the same spirit, we are united around the power source, the eternal source that gives the ability and empowers his children to fulfill these great things. It's the exact same power and the exact same spirit working in all of us that makes the way, that paves the way for these things to be accomplished. And it's one thing to which we're all aimed, which is to serve God and for him to get the glory. And so he goes in, he says all these other gifts here. He says, the sum, to one there is the, the word of wisdom, through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge, to another the gift of faith, another the gift of healing, another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, some discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. There's nine gifts. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Powerful spiritual gifts that absolutely need to be flowing and active and operable in the authentic church, the, tr the body of Christ, that these gifts must be flowing, as well as the gifts that we already talked about in the positions of offices here. And then he jumps into another verse in Romans where he talks about, this is in Romans 12, where he talks about some other gifts, and he says in verse 4, for we as many members, for we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then di gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. If ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Did you know that these are all spiritual gifts? Mercy, leadership, giving, exhortation, encouragement, 
teaching, prophet, I mean, all these different kinds of things he's going through. Now listen, here's the, here's the beautiful part. This is not an exhaustive list. He's just giving examples of a bunch of different types of gifts that are spiritually empowered, that we are given, that are put in us by the Spirit of God to be able to fulfill these great works and these great callings that are upon our lives. But he in no way says, that's it, that's all, there's no, never going to be any more. In fact, James says something very interesting. He says, for every good and perfect gift comes down from above with, from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Variation or shadow of turning is a celestial term that describes the countless innumerable stars and planets and bodies in the solar system that could never be counted. I submit to you that what also he's suggesting is that the amount of gifts, the array of gifts, the types of gifts and the varieties that would be given to men would be countless and innumerable and impossible to ever fully be able to count that you are created to do absolutely extraordinary, amazing things. And it's all throughout the Bible. You can't get away from it. You can't tell me that you can live a normal, mundane, ineffective, separated, private Christian life in the world we walk in and tell me that that lines up with what those scriptures say. It's, um, forgive me if this is strong, but it's a cop-out. Because quite frankly, we're called to do greater works than what Jesus did himself. And I can't get away from it, and I don't know how you can get away from that. It's right there. It hooks you, it grabs you, and you can try to interpret it different ways. You can try to break it down different ways. You just can't get away from the fact that Jesus really meant what he said. And it really is true. And when we do function that way, the world is... is it's like the church is a force. It's just moving forward and it's affecting things in a powerful way. And the change and the transformation that's needed in our world is beginning to sweep through And because the hand of God is upon it and it's God that's doing the work and paving the way for all the things that we desire to see really happen in this world. Yes, there's always gonna be an enemy, but there's a stronger force for good, a stronger power that works in us, which is the Holy Spirit than the enemy who comes against us. Amen? And then in Ephesians chapter 2, oh, man. Okay, I'm just gonna, we're going to wrap up with this. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I mean, that scripture just pretty well says it. Whereas workmanship, we're being worked out, we're being transformed as we flow in these good works and these gifts, that literally God's actually changing us in the process. He's doing the transformational work in us that he wants to do as we're flowing and functioning in these gifts. 
And it says he prepared them beforehand that we should walk in them. Like he saw this destiny for us before we were ever even breathing our first breath. And they were ready. They were prepared. It's like a banquet was set and prepared and ready. Come sit down and feast. He prepared them. They're ready to go. He's got everything you need to fulfill this amazing, miraculous calling that's on your life. It's right here. It's in you. And he says here that it is not that it's by the grace of God lest anyone should boast. And this is the point that I'll finish on. This is where sometimes we get really, really backwards in the church is that you have these two concepts of works and of grace, okay? And sometimes people think on the extreme side of one or on the other. Now, extreme grace would be a way of thinking uh, or theology that says like, well, God is good, he saved me, and so no matter what I do, it doesn't matter, I'm forgiven, like, it doesn't matter. It's all good, it's all covered, it's just, I'm just, it's a license to do whatever I wanna do. If I wanna sin, God will forgive me. If I wanna do this, whatever, I've been saved, I've been forgiven. That's extreme grace. The problem with that is, there's no conviction, okay? When grace really hits us, and we're really being worked on by God, then you can't get away from conviction, which is an influence of the Holy Spirit on our spirit. It's in the heart, right? That's why, that's why the Bible says that God said he, he wrote the, the commands, the laws on tablets of stone in the Old Testament that they were written on like uh, objects. He says, I'm gonna write them on their hearts. So when Jesus came and the Holy Spirit came to live in us, in us, it's like he's, he's compelling us. He's convicting us. You don't want to sin. You don't want to disobey God. You don't want to go against him. You just can't stand it because you're being convicted. That's, that's grace, right? But see, you have this thing on the other side, which is extreme works, where it's like you have to earn everything from God. You got to do good. Man, whenever I'm doing good, okay, I feel like I'm pleasing God. But if I do something wrong, I'm disappointed in him. He's angry at me. He's mad at me. He's, you know, it's like this, again, this roller coaster type of thing. It's extreme works. Like somehow you could ever possibly earn anything that God has for you. It's contaminated thinking. It's false theology because it's not true. He says it's, not of, it's, it's of grace, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So here's, here's the middle ground. Here's the reality okay? We're saved by grace. We're empowered by grace. We could never earn it, and there's nothing that we could do to, to uh, produce it in our own lives. It's free. It's like if I gave you a gift that you would open and use and enjoy, I give it to you because I love you and because I'm good and because I just want to bless you with it. And then you can use it, but you have to open it, you have to use it, you have to put it into work, or it serves no purpose, right? But see, this is grace just comes freely, and we just have to receive it. But as you do, you're convicted, you're compelled, and you are led by what the Bible says the Holy Spirit is, he will guide us into all truth. He is a guide, he is a leader, and he, we follow and as we do, he empowers us. And then what happens, the evidence of that process really happening is that marvelous, miraculous works are being done. There's fruit just coming out. Not because you're doing it to earn anything, because you're just walking in an authentic relationship with a holy, supernatural God who empowers you with a power from on high you could never know on your own.
That's why James said faith without works is dead. He didn't mean if you don't do good things, you're never going to have God. He meant if I don't see fruit in someone's life, I question if they're really walking in relationship with Jesus. That's what he meant. Because I know whenever I see somebody really walking with Jesus, there's change, there's transformation, things are happening, and amazing works are coming out of their life because God is working in and through them. And you cannot separate the two. Amen? Stand to your feet with me today. for your grace thank you that you've called us into marvelous works Lord that you've gifted us all differently and uniquely I pray that we would be called up today to live in a way like you said that's worthy of the calling with which we've been called God that we walk and live every day in a way that matches the way that you really are calling us to live greater works than these you will do. Lord, we embrace that. We receive that. It messes with us, but we hear you loud and clear, God. Help us to be the church you're created, you've created us to be. Help us to be the army. Help us to be the force you've created us to be. The world needs us, God. It needs you. Help us to continue to grow and walk in the authority that we already truly possess because of your son. If everybody could just bow their heads for a moment and just close your eyes, I just want to ask you if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I have to admit, if I were to die today, I don't honestly know if I would be in heaven with Jesus. If you don't know that, if you haven't settled that, you haven't given your life to Christ. You haven't made him Lord and Savior over your life. Again, it's grace. You, you can't earn it. It's free. He's wanting to give it to you. You just have to confess and acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose for your sin, that he rose from the dead. He died for your sins. That he was the son of God. Confess with your mouth and believe it in your heart, Jesus, the Bible says. So re receive that. If that's you, you say, Pastor, I don't know if I could say that I've made that decision or maybe you've walked away from God and you've been going down a totally different path and that conviction and that compelling spirit like we talked about today is beginning to hit you and work on you. And you say, I need to get back to walking with Christ. I need to get back to walking with him in my life. If either one of those are you, make a statement of faith today. I want to just pray with you. Make a declaration. Draw a line in the sand. Say enough's enough. Make a decision for God today. And I want to pray with you if that's you and you're ready to do that. On the count of three, if that's you, would you raise your hand so I can see who you are and I want to just pray for you today. One, two, three. I see your hand. 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 Is there anybody else? Now is the time. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Just a moment longer. Is there anybody else? You say, oh, it's time for me to walk with Jesus. It's time for me to get back. Yes, ma'am, I see your hand. God bless you. Hallelujah. All right, well, let's do this. Let's all pray together. Those of you that raise your hand, listen, let this be, let this be your heart's desire. All right, let this prayer 
be your heart's confession before God. Let it be the acceptance of an invitation that he's freely giving to you to have Jesus in your life. You say, dear Father God, I give my life to you today. I confess Jesus, your son, as my Lord and Savior. I turn away from my old life and I turn to you. Forgive me of all my sin. Make me a new creation. Help me to become the person you've created me to be. Help me walk in authority and power that I may fulfill the calling you have on my life before I was ever even born. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Well, I celebrate that today for those folks that raised your hand. God bless you, amen. And I announce to you according to the written word of God that you are going to live in heaven with Jesus for all of eternity. You're gonna have a perfect place that you go to after this world and you are called and created to do amazing things while you're still here on this earth. And whatever, when the Bible says the, the good work that God began in you, he intends to finish, that he will see it through. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Listen. He's began this work when we receive Christ's spirit in us. He's beginning that work and he will fully intend to see that through every step of the way as long as we stay yielded and submitted to his will in our life above our own. God bless you all. Have a wonderful day. Don't be in a hurry to get out of here.